Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. An article by a recent respected Christian leader states a preview of things to come that God is warning the unbelieving world. God is warning the unbelieving world. How? Well, by all of the things occurring in nature, whether it's fires in Maui, regardless of how they get started, outbursts of rain, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, whatever they might be, God is warning the unbelieving world. Well, I can't necessarily disagree that God is warning the unbelieving world. But more than that, he's warning the believing world, the professing believing world. And that's where the problem is. Because all of the warnings, the express warnings of Scripture, are directed to professing believers. That is, whether they be Jewish in the Old Testament or whether they be Christian in the New Testament, the warnings of Scripture are to those who profess to be God's people. Why is that? Because it's God's warmest audience. If you were to sign up for one of the multi-level marketing groups around the country that have been going on for the past 50, 60 years, you would find that every single one of them tells you, tells anyone who signs up, go to your warmest audience, those that are closest to you your relatives, your friends, those that are closest to you, start there. Well, that's where God starts. He starts with his warmest audience, those who profess to be his followers. Why is that? Because if they, his warmest audience, cannot follow him in spirit and in truth, then how in the world could God possibly expect the unbelieving world to make a decision to follow him? And therein lies the problem. Why is it that we think that God is only warning the unbelieving world? A lot of it has to do with our theology. A lot of it has to do with what we think about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, well, we just don't want to believe that God actually might be warning professing Christians. Why? Because, again, because of our theology, because if you believe that there's no way that you could ever fall away, then why should you be concerned? You can live however you want. You can do whatever you want. You can choose to do whatever you want. You can be, you can sing Frank Sinatra's mantra, I'll do it my way, thank you very much. By the way, Lord, I just want to cause you to remember that. Remember back there 35 years ago when I made that confession of faith? Remember when I signed that card? Remember when I raised my hand? Mm-hmm. He said, oh, yeah, I remember that. But I also know how you've been living since then. And it's totally inconsistent with the card that you signed with the confession that you made, with the hand that you raised. Is God warning the unbelieving world? Yes. 
but he's warning even the more so the so-called believing world. He says today is the day of salvation. That's true. But he also says in the book of Hebrews, don't harden your heart as the people did in the provocation. Who were the people in the provocation? They were the children of Israel. They were the heirs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the heirs according to the promise. They were the people that God had already taken out of Israel, out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And yet he said, don't harden your heart. Why? Because if you harden your heart, you were actually, even though God had taken you out of Egypt, he never, you never allowed him to get Egypt out of you. I want you to think about that. Because, you see, God was only willing to allow two men, age 20 and older, who came out of Egypt into the Promised Land. All the rest of them, he said, you're conducting yourselves like an Egyptian. He took them out of Egypt, but they didn't get into the Promised Land. God said, no way, no how, you're not coming in. Because you're living like an Egyptian. So here's the question that I have for you before we launch deeper today in the program. Are you living like an Egyptian? There was a song that came out not long ago called Living or Walking Like an Egyptian. Really? Well, whatever that means, walking like an Egyptian. But God doesn't want us to walk like Egyptians. He wants us to walk like believers. Hmm. He doesn't want us to whine and cry and murmur and complain and want to go back to Egypt and live like the rest of the culture while holding on to a old piece of paper or claim that we made some confession of faith 20, 30, 50 years ago. It has to be good today. And that's why he says today is the day of salvation. Not yesterday. Today was tomorrow yesterday. Today is the day of salvation. Every day, God wants you and me to live by faith, meaning comporting ourselves according to his word, his will, and his way. Now, that having been said, we're going to take a look at a vast number of things here today on Viewpoint, covering a wide range of things, all of them having to do with believers, how believers are being treated, how uh, believers are treating others. Uh, it's, It's a fascinating picture. I just hope that we can get through it today. I really do, because there's so much. A seminary leader under fire for exposing woke critical race theory in churches. A seminary leader under fire. A a, a Jewish man saying young Americans are not even talking about evil. They don't even know what evil is. A Jewish publication is changing the genders of the Bible. A church in California is suing the state in federal court because they have been tracking 
using new technology to track the membership. Hmm. Anglican priests now are overwhelmingly okay, not only with premarital sex, but with gay sex. One in six American churches say they've had, paid for, or encouraged others to get an abortion. One in six. The Pope now decries backwardness of conservative U.S. Catholics. In other words, in America, many of the Catholic churches are refusing to go along with the wokeness of the Pope. He, in the name of Christ, is leading people contrary to the ways of Christ. What do you make of that? And that's just for starters. Welcome to Viewpoint. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. One of the things that particularly encourages me, friends, is when we receive letters and phone calls and so on uh, from our listeners, sometimes emails, and uh, expressing their thoughts, uh, their heart concerning the program and how it's affecting their lives. And I have a couple of these that we just received this week. This one comes from, well, I'm not sure exactly because uh, I uh, discarded the envelope. But the person says, I listen to your broadcast almost every night on shortwave. Shortwave 9270. I listen to your broadcast almost every night on shortwave. You and I both share concerns that the body of Christ is not prepared and may panic where the choice is between food or the mark of the beast. I can't find one church that teaches a balanced message from the Bible And they all seem to believe that they won't face any hard times because they're all going to be out of here. So I'm currently writing to pastors, local pastors, and telling them about your radio program. Well, bless you, my sister. Really appreciate what you're doing and appreciate the encouragement that you're giving us here concerning the program listening almost every night on shortwave. Another writes... Your broadcasts are invaluable to me, and I recommend them to family and friends. Question, do you listen regularly? Do you recommend the program? Do you tell others about it? I hope you do. Now, don't expect that they're all going to follow, but because they're not. Even Jesus couldn't expect that. Of his, even the Father couldn't expect that from his own Son. On the other hand, we still have a responsibility to be ambassadors of the truth, don't we? So bless you when you do that by faith. Now, today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at what's happening in the broader Christian community, things that are happening in the name of Christ, some things that are happening contrary to Christ, and even... 
things happening against the people of Christ. So sometimes you wonder if things that are happening in the name of Christ, but contrary to the word, will, and the ways of God, are really actually against the people of Christ. So when the Pope says that he is decrying the backwardness of conservative U.S. Catholics that uh, are trying to take the Bible at face value, and he's saying, no, 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 we've got to... uh, We've got to liberalize on this, and we've got to uh, 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 kind of play footsie with the people who are practicing homosexuality and divorced and remarried. And you see, even the persecution is coming sometimes in the name of Christ against the people of Christ. It's a very dangerous world that we're living in, friends. It's very troubling. And so today on Viewpoint, as we continue to uh, process this, we're going to see uh, how these things are taking place. It's important for us to know the bigger picture, isn't it? I think it is. So perhaps a good place to start would be with a couple of polls. A couple of polls, one Uh, by George Barna within the American church primarily, and another with a Times poll with Anglican priests. Maybe that would be a good way for us to start as we get into the nitty-gritty here on Viewpoint today. So here we go. A new study done by George Barna for the Family Research Council shows that nearly 9 in 10 respondents say it's important for Christians to have a biblical worldview, and large numbers believe it's clear and decisive on a number of issues ranging from marriage to divorce to abortion. But large numbers say they still would like more training on specific disputes. 68% Again, these are figures within the professing Christian community. 68% believe the church they attend provides a comprehensive and thorough worldview training for children up to age 12. On the question of such teaching for teens, 74% say their churches are doing a good job. By the way, if that is true, then how do you explain the other statistics, including that only 20% of professing Christian young people today believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's something wrong with the understanding even of parents within the church. They don't get it. They do not understand what their kids are learning or not learning. And they themselves don't seem to be doing a much better job at home. So the kids are left out in the cold so that those who even are attending church and claim to be Christians can't possibly be Christians because they don't even believe the most elementary thing about the faith, and that is that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, that no man will come to the Father but by Jesus. 89% say more training on social and political responsibility would help them. 71% say the training on abortion, and 68% say the topics on human sexuality. How about the 
fundamental topic on what does it mean to become and remain a child of God? What does it mean to be converted? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It seems that those things aren't computing. Why? Could it be something having to do with the fact that even the teaching and preaching in our churches is just not dealing with the most fundamental issues and receiving people into our churches that have never been converted? Never confessed their sin before God and repented and turned from it and embraced him hook, line, and sinker, lock, stock, and barrel for their life and their future? When asked about how clearly and decisively the Bible speaks on various topics, a majority said the Bible was clear on seven of eight topics like the definition of marriage, religious liberty, divorce, morality, abortion, homosexuality, knowing gender, and transgenderism. But only 44% said the Bible was clear on what types of candidates to vote for. Really? The Bible is very clear about what kind of candidates to vote for. If you've ever read it, if you've ever spent any time in the Bible, it's very clear. There is a list right there of four different qualifications in the Torah. Men who fear God, who love truth, who are not caught up with, uh, say, bribery, can't be... uh, uh, Diverted through bribery like the Bidens is very clear. The Bible also says that we should not be uh, yoked together with unbelievers, as the manner of some is. The Apostle Paul talks about seeking people closest to us, people who fear God. The fear of the Lord is foundation for everything. It's the foundation for wisdom. So if you want an elective leader that that has wisdom, you have to first determine that he truly is or she truly is a God-fearing person. That doesn't mean they believe in God. It means they believe God. Because the devil believes in God. You see... This idea of, well, we really don't know how to vote. We really just don't understand. It's just not true. We do know. We just don't want to vote that way. We want to vote our pocketbook instead of our principles. Hmm. Yeah. Or, or we want to vote what my granddaddy did, the, the party my granddaddy voted for, instead of the party that most closely exemplifies the principles of the gospel. Now, the, the reality, friends, is, to be honest, we're not going to find any single individual anywhere or any political party that actually 100% embraces all of the foundations of biblical truth. Not going to find it. You know why? Because you don't. You see, we're sinners, aren't we? And we fall short, and that's why we need to repent. But we have to look for those that come closest to, not closest to things that touch our 
what these, shall we say, the touchy-feely elements of our lives. No, we're looking for truth. That's what we need to look for is truth. God says, I desire truth in the inward parts. He also desires integrity in the inward parts. So David said, judge me according to my integrity. Is that how you're voting for candidates? Their integrity? I'm not talking about their integrity to always vote for a particular thing in their party. That's not what we're talking about here. It has nothing to do with parties directly. Now, it is possible that a particular candidate or group of candidates might fall predominantly in a particular party. What does that say? It says that that particular party is more in line with what God says. Maybe not perfectly in line, but more in line. That's how we make decisions to vote. Is that how you make decisions to vote? You see, these things really do teach and preach if we're willing to ask the right questions of ourselves. This same poll said that only 68% of respondents said God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect and just creator of the universe who rules the universe today. Only 68%. In other words, they can't possibly believe that our God is an awesome God. They can't possibly be God-fearing people because they don't even believe in what God says about himself in the Bible. Other responses in the poll range from everyone is a God to nobody really knows. Wow. And those are professing Christians. Only 41% in the poll agreed that people are born into sin and can only be saved from its consequences by Jesus. 41%. That means that 59% of professing Christians in our churches do not believe that they have to, that they're sinners, that they're born into sin, and they must be saved from that sin, and they must confess their sin and the need for a Savior. So why are they going to church then? Why are they even going to church? Why do they feel like they need to go? Social purposes, probably. Maybe it's good for business. Maybe it makes them feel good, like they're doing something. But that's not going to save them. Every one of us is born into sin. Even David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. And the only way we're going to go to heaven is because we've confessed our sin, accepted Christ as our Savior, and are walking with him as Lord. Don't tell me you don't have to walk with him as Lord, because if you say that, you're denying the rest of Scripture. And you never can be good enough. Like, every, like a lot of people said in the poll. And believe it or not, 48% in the poll believe that there are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone. No moral absolutes. <clears throat> no wonder we're in a mess, friends. These are the responses of professing Christians. <coughs> 
Wow. And then we wonder why Christians are under attack. We're under attack from ourselves. We're attacking ourselves from within. You know, it's like that phrase, we met the enemy and it is us. We're full of friendly fire. Not just attacks from people, but attacks on ourselves. Because we choose not to believe what God has said. That's an open and direct attack on ourselves. Right? Now, when we get back, we're going to take a look at some of the attacks from the outside. And some of these are going to look pretty interesting. Even coming from Israel. Wow, the ones that are complaining about anti-Semitism are anti-Christian. How does this work? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals, saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I want to share something with you that might be of considerable interest to many, and that is beginning today, September 1st, Through the end of September, we are making an offer to you, an opportunity to you that we have never, ever done or even come close to here on this program in 28 and a half years. We so much want to get the message out of the various books. I've written 10 books now. Right now, I'm uh, writing chapter four in book number 11, dealing with persecution which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Not the book, but persecution. But as to all my other books that are on our website, during the month of September only, don't try to extend it beyond the month of September, during the month of September only, you may obtain any or all of my books for $10 each. $10. That barely makes it enough for us to recoup what we have spent just to get the books done, available, out, and back to you. $10. All of the books that I have written on the website during the month of September. You can call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us at Save America Ministries, or you can go to the website, saveus.org, and they have been appropriately remarked so that you will be able to get them that way. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
if you get more than one book, you're going to also save $3 a book in postage and handling. In other words, we want to encourage you to get as many as possible and use them, not just for yourself, but give them away. Give them to your pastor, your parachurch leaders, your friends, your relatives, your children, and so on. Help us get the message out. That's what it's all about. Not about selling books. It's about getting the message out. I receive nothing from these books. I write them. I spent a year writing them and then promoting them on various radio and television programs across the country, but I receive nothing. All goes into getting the next book out and to save America Ministries. Just so you know, there are no ulterior motives here. It's a matter of the kingdom of God and getting the message out to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. All right. Now, that having been said, because I spoke so much about coming out of Egypt and what that means, I'm going to specially direct your attention to that book, Out of Egypt. Out of Egypt. I can almost guarantee you, you've never read a book like it. It is going to open your mind, your heart, your, your eyes, your life to understanding the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in ways that perhaps you never even dreamed of. I'm not overstating this. Several years ago, a man who for years and years stood at the desk in the post office receiving people's mail, got a copy of the book. In fact, he got two copies, one for himself and one for his father in San Francisco. Here's what he told me several years later. He said, my father has read that book out of Egypt seven times. He said, every time I get something new out of it, seven times. That's how loaded it is. It'll give you a perspective on the Christian life, what it truly means. This whole theme of coming out of Egypt. Did you know that over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, the words out of Egypt can be found? It's the number one theme of the whole Bible. Even salvation itself is rooted under the umbrella or metaphor of coming out of Egypt. Did you know that? But we don't understand it the way it's supposed to be understood. We think that because we left Egypt, that that's all that God was looking for. No, he couldn't get Egypt out of them. That's the problem. So the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, look, those things happen to them for our example unto whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore, take heed that what happened to them does not happen to you. That's the New Testament. That's the Apostle Paul. 
In other words, it has a powerful message for you and for me right now. Out of Egypt. And remember, it's available to you, just like all of my other books, for $10 during the month of September only. If you listen to the uh, re-air of this program or on the archive some other time outside the month of September 2023, this offer will not be available to you. It's only for the month of September 2023. Okay. That having been said, let us move forward. Jerusalem Christians, this comes from the Jerusalem Post, Jerusalem Christians say they're under attack and asking Israel to help. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten worse in the last year. The persecution of Christians is becoming increasingly dominant in Israel. This supposedly has freedom of worship. Well, you have freedom of belief. You can believe what you want, but if you practice it in public, woe be unto you. That's the problem. Even China claims to have freedom of religion, but don't you dare practice it in public. Even going to church, you're going to have to come under the dominion of Xi Jinping because he ultimately is the god in China. Let's build on that just a little bit here. Again, from the Jerusalem Post, just four days ago, Christian exodus from Israel? The chief of staff of the Population and Immigration Authority has reached out to a lawyer, the lawyer representing the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, to inform him that a review of the visa policy that has banned permanent staff from entering Israel is underway. The issue has been brought to the highest levels of the Israeli government. So what's going on? Well, they have, using visa power, they have, in effect, excised Christians from coming into Israel and becoming part of these organizations, even though these organizations are there to bless Israel. They were largely being slowly squeezed out of existence by the interior ministry over the past 18 months. The ministry has ceased granting work or clergy visas to entities like the ICEJ and similar groups. But those groups can't, those organizations can't continue to function without at least 10 or 15 permanent staff members in Israel. They're large organizations with 40 to 60 employees, and Israel is home to a small cluster of notable Christian organizations. So what's happening is that through the pressure coming from the Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox, they are gradually attempting, under color of law, to squeeze out Christians in Israel. They want to receive Christian money 
from tourism, but they don't want to receive the Christian message. You see, you have freedom of belief. You just don't have freedom of practice. Now, I'm not here to lay out a diatribe against Israel. But there are those wondering why Benjamin Netanyahu has done nothing to respond to this. He hasn't spoken on it. Is it because it's too political? Well, they say because Benjamin Netanyahu is largely uh, undergirded, underwritten, undersupported, or, or supported by the uh, Orthodox community, about one-third of Israel, that he would be not serve himself by uh, going against this effort. So, that's where we are in that regard. How about our families? It's one thing to say that some outside group is persecuting, but how about an inside group? Friendly fire, so to speak. This article says, prepared for persecution, Christian families today. Since persecution is part of a Christian's life, how do we prepare our children and grandchildren for it? Well, I'm going to leave that question open to you for now. Because I am writing about that. Under the working title, Coming for Persecution. Uh, Persecution is coming. Or when persecution comes, that's what it is. When persecution comes, what do you do? How do you respond? Because it is coming. And when you read the book, you're going to find just how quickly it is coming. I am shocked. I really am. I'm shocked. Because every single day now, I'm flooded with new information from across America, Europe, and the world concerning the explosion of persecution. This book is not coming too early. It's right on time, my friends. I hope you're going to be ready for it when it comes out next year. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you to Viewpoint. We're taking a look at the, the broader look of what's happening in the church today. And the problems that we're facing are not generally from the, not always from the outside. Oftentimes they're from the inside. When we have 
these radical differences of opinion with regard to what it means to be a Christian. That's an inside job. When we have radical differences as to uh, how we are to, how we should select candidates to vote, that's an inside job, not an outside job. When we have problems with our young people knowing what is right, what is wrong, what is what God is in favor of and what God resists, that's an inside job. In other words, parents, pastors, youth pastors, and so on, are not properly and boldly teaching our young people what is true, what is right. When 40-some, for 48% of professing Christian adults... 48% do not believe that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and do not believe in absolute truth, you know we are absolutely deceived on the inside, not the outside. That's not an outside job. That's an inside job. When our children and grandchildren are not being prepared for the persecution and the difficult times that are coming, including the rise of the beast empire and so on. When they're not being prepared for that, that's not an outside job. That's an inside job. We're refusing to do what God calls us to do. Are you listening? So if you want to have an accurate answer to the question, since persecution is part of a Christian's life, how do we prepare our children and grandchildren for it? That's your job. That's not somebody else's job. That's your job as a parent, as a grandparent. I take that job very seriously. I do. Always have and still do. I hope you do. But it's obvious that the majority of professing Christians do not take that job seriously. One of the reasons is because they don't take their own life seriously before God. They don't walk in the fear of the Lord. They walk in the fear of man. And the fear of man is a snare, and it will continue to be a snare, and will snare the majority of professing Christians with the mark of the beast. I'm sorry to have to put it so bluntly, friends. There's no time to mess around anymore. It's the love and the kindness, the mercy of God that brings that kind of message. It's not hateful. It's not mean. It's not unmerciful. It's the most merciful message that could be brought. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, the Apostle Paul wrote. We were talking about persecution coming from Israel. The Jerusalem Post said, why hasn't Netanyahu stopped the widening Israel of evangelical schism? Well, maybe the reality is what the article actually says. That Many of the ruling coalition are staunch opponents of the Christian faith and proponents of safeguarding Israel's Orthodox Jewish identity and have openly opposed the public presence of Christianity. That's coming. That's a direct quote. And here's one, a leading group of devout Jews at the Western Wall chanting, missionaries go home. 
as evangelical Christians attempted to celebrate Pentecost and pray for peace in Jerusalem. These tensions are growing everywhere. And if they're growing in Israel like that, where Israel relies in major part upon evangelical tourists, you know we've got some problems. But that's not the only place. Finland seems eager to send the West spiraling back into a new and real dark ages of anti-Christian discrimination after putting Pivi Rizanen back on trial for simply articulating a Christian perspective on marriage and sexuality. This is called, has been nicknamed the Bible trial. The precipitous and harrowing decline of free speech and religious liberty across what was once known as the free world. Pavi Rosanen, a woman, is a member of the Finnish parliament. She has served there since 1995 when we launched this radio program. She's also a high-profile and active member of the Finnish Lutheran Church. In 2019, she stood up to her own church leadership by publicly criticizing them on Twitter for officially sponsoring Helsinki's LGBT Pride event. Well, that tweet set off an invasive investigation and thrust her entire life under a magnifying glass during which she had to endure 13 hours of police questioning and was offered numerous plea deals to simply recant her words. The Helsinki District Court unanimously dismissed the charges earlier this year, saying it was not the court's place to interpret biblical concepts. For a short time... She thought she was in the clear. But the prosecutor, vicious, general appealed the court's decision, bringing the case to the Finnish Court of Appeal, which was supposed to have been heard yesterday. We'll see what happens. And then we get to one that we normally think about as persecution, and this fellow's name is Abed Ali. She's four, he's 40 years of age. His life changed when he met Jesus. News spread concerning his conversion like wildfire, and people began to talk about a man named Abed Ali who became a Christian. The villagers didn't take it well, and his family, especially his wife, couldn't accept his faith. Her anger drove her out of the home, taking her eight-year-old son with her, his eight-year-old son as well, by the way. He said, my wife left me saying, if you do not renounce your faith, I will not stay with you. Not only are his parents and siblings against him, but the local religious leaders are also after him, threatening to kill him if he doesn't renounce his faith. And they've also revoked every opportunity for him to work, He's rejected everywhere he goes, and he has nowhere to go. So he kind of hides every day. He said, I can't go home in the daytime. I just go at midnight and sleep for a while, and then before the day rises, I leave. I have to hide. He said, I'm learning to love people and love the Lord. And I'm rejected and isolated from all my family and friends. But I believe my Lord is with me. 
have a question for you. We used to sing a song, Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. Really? That's what's happening with this young man. But most will not go that route. Most will deny. Most will walk away. I remember a beautiful young lady who was part of our house church years ago from India. She professed to be a follower of Christ, but ultimately she left. She left not only our congregation, but she left the States and went back to India. The reason? She loved her family more than Christ. I hate to put it so bluntly, she just loved her family more than Christ. And so she missed her family so much that she abandoned her faith to embrace or re-embrace her family. How about you? What do you love so much that would cause you to abandon Christ? Just a question. Just a rhetorical question. A medical center claims that religious oppression is just a Christian thing. Really? Vanderbilt Medical Center, Vanderbilt University Medical Center, where my grandson did his first year of, well, what do they call it? I'm forgetting the word now. After med school, Anyway, he's now in his third year. Vanderbilt University Medical School claims that Christianity oppresses minority faiths because it has historically been the dominant religion in the U.S. So, the center's DEI office says that the toolkit is supposed to give staff and students the resources to build, dismantle, or fix issues pertaining to to DEI, according, this is the political correct stuff. And it's all about different types of discrimination, but singles out the Christian faith for oppression of minority religions. Vanderbilt University Medical School being used as an engine of religious persecution against Christians under the banner of political correctness and religious pluralism, and multiculturalism. Mm. And then, of course, there's San Jose, California, that has fined a Calvary Chapel church $1.2 million for violating COVID-19 pandemic restrictions. And then the county government conducted unconstitutional surveillance and tracked its members on the church's property using their cell phones. How did they do that? Well, apparently there's something called geofencing. It's a location-based tool used by governments to track individuals through their cell phone data. 
This tool is generally used in police investigations of criminal activity and requires the government to obtain a a warrant which is limited by time and scope. The defendants are accused of targeting Calvary Chapel. Using the geofencing tool without a warrant in an effort to obtain information in its ongoing state enforcement action against the church. Friends, this sounds like communist China. That's the kind of thing you expect in communist China. They're surveillance state. At the behest of the county, SafeGraph, the company, put two geofences around the Calvary Chapel and surveyed the churchgoers within the church premises over a year. In the lawsuit, Calvary alleges this type of expansive geofencing operation is not only an invasion of privacy, but it represents a terrifying precedent if allowed to go unaddressed. I agree. This is persecution under color of law, friends, and it's happening increasingly. We could go on and on, but we're not going to here today because that is going to have to suffice. But then we go back. We go back to not-so-jolly old England. A majority of priests in the Church of England say that the church should allow same-sex weddings and change its stance on premarital and gay sex. The survey of 1,200 active Anglican priests found that most think that church doctrine should be aligned with public opinion on moral issues. In other words, the culture should carry sway, authoritative sway over Christ and his word. The Church of England. Wow. That's the Anglican church, friends. More conservative than the Episcopal church on these shores. Now you have a good portrait, a picture of why it is that it's not just the unbelieving world that God is warning. It's the professing believing world. Don't you think? Thanks for joining us. Get a copy of the book Out of Egypt, $10 again. All those books, $10, right there on our website today. I hope you'll enjoy it. Pass it along. Get several copies. Get the message out. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.